This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who lives here and is on this podcast. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. It's me. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I, that's been my new introduction for the podcast uh, the last couple of weeks. The other person who lives here and is mm-hmm. also on this podcast. But now it sounds like if any random person lived here, they'd be on the podcast too. <laughs> I think it's probably a more major decision to have another person living in our small apartment. Yeah. Yeah. And when that time comes to maybe have somebody else on the podcast, maybe that doesn't imply that they automatically live here. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, definitely that. Definitely that. But I feel like if a third person lived here for a while, they wouldn't be on the podcast. And then I could be like, it's Obsessed Live. We have an audience. It's another person. (laughs) They're sitting right next to us. Yeah. And they're listening to it. And we'll, we'll try to get a lot of laugh lines from them as we go. Record those. Exactly. But we won't give them a microphone. <laughs> Not yet. Now we just sound like a-holes. <laughs> Small apartment full of two a-holes. You're not an a-hole. You're not one either. Well, I'm glad that we had our emotional check-in <laughs> on go. whether or not we consider uh, one another a-holes, which we don't. So we are going to move on to what we are talking about this week. We are going to talk about something I have talked about on the podcast before. I have done some, a couple uh, live uh, episodes about it, or I think mm-hmm. actually only one live episode about it, and then talked about individual parts of it with uh, different people, and it is because it's a big obsession of the world and mine, and that is Doctor Who, but we are going to specifically talk about classic Doctor Who. Yeah. So all the stuff that came before uh, the remount of Doctor Who, the restart of Doctor Who in 2005. Um, part of the reason that it occurred to us to be talking about this is because it's not just a, eh, yeah, that's one of the things I've really liked for a long time. You and I have been obsessed with it because we have been doing Saturday morning classic Doctor Who. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to share about Saturday morning classic Doctor Who? It's the best. It's like adult <laughs> version of Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy with it, and I'm happy that you have been happy with it because uh, basically, you know, we'll talk about it, but I've been a, a fan since I was a child, and there's something about classic Doctor Who in particular, that I need it to be, I want it to be an event when I watch it. Like, it's hard to just be like, for me, like, it's it's Tuesday night, which we watch the first two episodes of Deadly Assassin. Like, it, that doesn't feel right to me. I feel like <laughs> the same way about Star Wars movies. I don't just watch them because it's Tuesday. Like, I pick it. And I, like, rarely ever just watch one. Like, I have to watch a whole trilogy. Come on. Like, I'm going on a journey. <laughs> uh, same way about Twin Peaks. Like, that's a ritual if I'm going to do a full rewatch. Just watching one random episode of Twin Peaks is uh, bonkers to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been piling up getting uh, DVDs and now these great uh, season Blu-rays of classic Doctor Who and really wanting to revisit them. And I realized that Saturday morning would feel great because even if we didn't if there was a longer serial that had, you know, more than four episodes, then we could even break it up and we will watch the first half of the enemy of the world this week. And then the back half next week and that feeling of serialization that's in classic Doctor Who and that feeling it's there because that's literally what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it serialized uh, with cliffhangers and everything just feels perfect for Saturday morning, morning in that specific time reserved for it. So I'm so happy not only just to be watching them, but be watching them in a way that, for me, makes them feel special and celebrates what they are and their tone and how they make me feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great recap. Thank um, you. Yeah, no, I'm, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I'm married to you, to you. I live with you. True. I know this about you, <laughs> that you 
that Doctor Who is not a thing that you necessarily want to, well, not even necessarily. It's not a thing, like you said, that you just want to watch on Tuesday. Um, So it's been really fun because I am not as much that way, but it isn't necessarily top of my mind. And so it's been really fun to set aside this time. And especially with our safer at home times, some of the other things in the world that would come up on Saturdays, a lot of them have gone away. So it's been a really nice way to get this tradition in and um, and going and uh, just been a really fun way to explore seeing a lot more of Doctor Who. Right. No annoying friends, birthday parties to interrupt Claws of Axos, <laughs> right? No. <laughs> no, but you were doing for a while. We were like one Saturday, we would watch Doctor Who and then you would go to a dance class yeah. uh, another Saturday and we would only be able to watch one or two episodes in the morning or we have to wait until the afternoon, mm-hmm. which is okay, but uh, not as good as morning. Right, yeah. right. We could do, you know, Doctor Who post dance class because that dance <laughs> class is very early in the morning if dance classes ever come back yes and we don't cut off at noon sometimes we go way into the afternoon with doctor I mean, <laughs> we do yeah and sometimes we just watch like have we ever just watched like two of a four-part serial no no yes we did like we have we did because yeah. actually we were really busy when we recently watched uh, the aztecs the first doctor episode yeah and we did the first two episodes one saturday and the next two episodes the next saturday mm-hmm. because i was all the time that we had. Yeah. <laughs> for the there Aztecs. we go. Look at us being busy. <laughs> Make time for the Aztecs. That's what I'm saying. Um, so for people who don't know classic Doctor Who, if you were telling somebody that you were w- having Saturday morning classic Doctor Who, how would you describe what classic Doctor Who is? Yes. Uh, may I ask a clarifying question? Absolutely. That's is... a great way to start <laughs> with is... trying to talk about Doctor Who. Right. Uh, is this somebody who has heard of Doctor Who? Yeah. You want to role play a little bit? Sure, yeah. I did. Let's go for it. We're alone in our apartment, as we've <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> made very clear. Um, so, yeah, if I was just wanting to be like, yeah, I know it's a British thing that it used to be on, and it was it was old and weird, and then it came back, and David Tennant was sexy, and there's a box, and they go in time and space, and then the Dal- the Dalek thing, the Daleks, okay. the Daleks, what are they called? Those things? <laughs> yeah. They got the bumps, and they yell? Yeah. Yeah. That thing. Yeah, okay. So, um that's great that you know about that thing. <laughs> and before there was that thing, um, back earlier in time, there was another version of that thing, called, also called Doctor Who, uh, now referred to as classic Doctor Who. And it was um, put out by the BBC, as the current version is, and was um, a, a story, um, a series of stories that were told... I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do this well, and as a result, I'm just tongue-tied. Uh, so it started with an idea of, like, maybe we want to talk about history, so we're going to have time travel, but also space. And so it was this show that was designed for kids to be educational, but then it, um, a lot of people became very interested in it, and uh, people watched it on Saturdays and hid behind their couches. <laughs> there. I'm the best person to give explanations for things, because halfway through, I'll just be like, good enough. You'll be more intrigued if you don't know anything. <laughs> oh, I think that's a, a pretty good explanation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I Having had to attempt to describe it to people a lot. Uh, yeah. 
it, I, for me, it's just always like it's yeah the he the the doctor they uh, he in the classic, but uh, they I try to say now mm-hmm. that there is a woman doctor is the thirteenth doctor that there's a continuity between the classic series and uh, the modern series the new series, but the yeah the original series was started out educational started having lots of historicals where they would just go and have actual adventures in time uh, to be educational and then the Daleks were in the second serial they became extremely popular and then eventually a little bit more of that monsters and science fiction vibe took over the show uh lasted from 1963 to 1989 uh all these different interpretations of the doctor and it ends up really in the big picture uh being a show that is a very science fiction oriented there is a lot of monsters and kind of b-movie fun serialization and all that uh and all of the doctors have the different personalities but the same personalities uh and the doctor always travels with a different companion or different companions plural uh who are the sort of human perspectives even when the companions aren't humans which happens sometimes Mm -hmm. uh but i think really for me the big pull of the show is that through all of these different iterations of being this weird science fiction fantasy uh time travel show is that it has such heart to it it cares about exploration and creativity and pacifism and trying to understand the other person's perspective and it fears uh, bureaucracy and rigidity and all of those kind of great and noble ideas and also a monster that is clearly and lovingly made out of rubber because that's the most that the budget could withstand uh, is shot in a beautiful uh, in shocking way and will come out of nowhere and say something weird and over the top and it is still even within that, always sort of advancing these very noble ideas that that I agree with and I think are, are important to try to communicate. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yay. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But in your version, the conversation <laughs> continued. And in my version, the person just walked away from me because I was not going to stop <laughs> sharing no? my description of classic Doctor Who. Because both of ours follow up next and you here, let's watch one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for people who are coming at it from the perspective of being fans of the modern series, and Mm -hmm. I've had these conversations with people about like, there is this big shift where there's definitely elements of uh, character drama in the classic series, but a lot of it is in service of the adventure. It's you get some explanations of the relationship between the doctor and his companions sometimes, but only just a, a little. Whereas the new series went into like, this is a drama and it's largely about the relationships Mm -hmm. between these characters. Uh, And sometimes you get it uh, explicitly, like in the Fifth Doctor era of, you know, the relationship between the Doctor and all his companions. Uh, But other times you only get it through the subtext of the actors. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and, And just that that's that's a, you know one of the biggest changes like to me bigger than oh yeah the budget changed and they got more money yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, but the the nature of it as a as a drama that a lot more the drama in the classic series is almost in the situation that the doctor and the companions find themselves in that particular episode Mm. like a lot Mm -hmm. of the drama will be like they land in the middle of somebody else's drama Yes. But the relationship between the third doctor and his companion, Joe, is pretty uh, consistent. And they're not going through drama. They're in somebody else's drama. Yeah. They're visitors to drama. (laughs) (laughs) We travel in time and space and drama. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, how obsessed would you 
consider yourself? Do you think you are obsessed? We'll rate ourselves later mm. in the podcast, but mm. do you, as a starting point, think you're obsessed with classic Doctor Who or feel like you are? I would say, I mean, I'm definitely much more obsessed right now while we're watching it, uh, just because I think about it a lot more. Um, you know, it in terms of obsession as a rating scale of things that you like, I like it and I, li- I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, so yes, I would say there's certainly some level of obsession, um, but I'm not, I don't necessarily feel like, yes, I'm a nine out of 10 if we're rating it or a, you know, Doctor Who daily um, <laughs> type of thing, you know, if we're trying to quantify it. Yeah. Oh, well, we so, will try we'll to quantify it later. Yeah. 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 But you are so, starting out as a, I really like it a lot. It has its place in Saturday morning in my heart and I like it, but not obsessed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it has a place in my heart, um, just period. But um, right now, that's being expressed through Saturday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I think let's find out. Yeah, all right, cool. Let's find out. Um, I would say that, yes, I am obsessed uh, because it is, you know, I discovered it when I was a kid and it has been a part of my life for a long time. And, you know, it has taken me a long time and I think a lot of growth to watch the new series just as the new series and not constantly go, that episode was good because it had this element of the classic series and to just <laughs> to uh, to learn one of the lessons of Doctor Who, that uh, evolution and change are natural and good things. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot that I like and that I think about and that uh, ways that I think about entertainment or life that are have been framed mm-hmm. by classic Doctor Who. Um, and so it's been an obsession for a really, really, really long time. Uh, we always like to have caveats early in the podcast. So I will also caveat that Doctor Who is one of those fandoms for me that I feel it's just sort of strangely at sea about sometimes because for an average American human, I know an absurd amount about uh, Doctor Who and classic Doctor Who in particular. Uh, but I have also had the pleasure of spending time with people who are true, true experts. Mm-hmm. I've had the pleasure of being a guest at the big Doctor Who Gal- convention, Gallifrey One, in Los Angeles, uh, where I get to perform some comedy and be on some fun panels and see the, you know, be on panels with people who have worked on the the show or on books or on audios or people who are like, this is actually their, you know, career is that they are experts, total mm-hmm. actual experts in Doctor Who. Uh, and it's so expansive in books and in the big Finnish audios. And I feel uh, this kind of weirdness of like, I always feel like I either know way too much about Doctor Who or not enough. Mm-hmm. And and I know that sometimes been talking a lot about on the podcast with obsession about that, that, you know, desire, that instinct to gatekeep yourself. So I just kind of want to get that caveat out there. Because I get in my own head about mm-hmm. like when I'm sitting down to do a podcast like this, of like, oh, remember there are going to be people listening who <laughs> uh, barely know Doctor Who, and then remember there might be a few people listening who know absolutely everything about Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would uh, share my honest feelings about my level of Doctor Who knowledge. Is it too little? Is it too much? Is there any such thing? <laughs> <laughs> It probably just shouldn't uh, actually attribute any value judgment to it and be honest about my general level of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, as always, as we've been talking about a lot, it's also it's um, whether or not you obset- are obsessed about something is not just a measure of knowledge. Yes, exactly. And I, this has been great to do the podcast one-on-one because it has been, uh, is I'm talking about more of my own obsessions. 
I am getting a heaping helping of my own advice that I give <laughs> to guests about. Yes, it is about your relationship with the thing. Uh, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about our relationships with the thing. Uh, when? What are your very first memories of Doctor Who? I know they're mm-hmm. foggy, but yeah. they are entertainingly foggy. So uh, <laughs> share your, your entertaining fog. Yeah, so I have very vivid but blurry <laughs> memories Um of watching Doctor Who when I was little. Um, I'm not even going to pretend to put an age on it as I often do um, for this, but I was watching Doctor Who. I'm going to say it would, it might have been black and white. It might have just been like gray and dusty. And the image that I have imprinted so thoroughly on my mind is uh, the TARDIS um, on what was supposed to be, I believe, or what to me was, um, you know, a planet in outer space was probably a quarry, um, you know, because I've, you know, kind of a windswept scene. And and I don't remember which doctor, uh, so this makes it extra entertaining, uh, but the doctor and some companions (laughs) hurrying back into the TARDIS to get away from whatever the thing, um, whatever they're trying to get away from. And that is what I remember. But it had, it imprinted on me and... Um, in a way that I was always looking forward to watching more Doctor Who. And I know I watched more than just those, you know, 30 seconds. Like, I'm sure I watched at least the serial, and I'm sure I watched more of it. But that is the part, the only part that I remember. Um, but it's so thoroughly imprinted on me that I, um, you know, when new the new series of Doctor Who is coming out, like, it's a thing that whenever people would talk about, talk about Doctor Who, um, even before the new series, then it wasn't very often. My ears would always prick up. So it was like, oh, <laughs> like imprint. But that's all there is to it. Yeah. So yeah. that is my my earliest uh, Doctor Who memory. And I'm so delighted by that because a lot of people I know uh, when different, uh, you know, PBS channels in America were airing it in different ways at different times. Uh, everybody would see it in a different way. And I know a lot of people who are like, oh, I remember exa- what exact episode uh, and it, then it was a religious experience and I watched it every week or it'll be like, I just saw 20, you know, minutes of something and I don't know which one it is. But your memory, uh, you know, because the BBC was trying to find things that looked alien many times, they would go to a quarry to the point where it's a standard Doctor Who joke of like, it's a quarry scene. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those jokes that is borne out in reality. There are many, many quarry scenes in Doctor Who. So it is really a delight when we're watching every time. There's a quarry. I'm hoping like, <laughs> is this the one? Is this the one? Or it is possible that it is legitimately foggy enough that you could see that exact quarry scene and you wouldn't know that's the quarry scene that you saw back in the day. Yeah, I'm so intrigued uh, to find out if we will ever watch it or if we have already watched it. <laughs> we might have already seen your beautiful quarry moment. <laughs> yeah. So I had that moment of I saw it and didn't know what it was. I was at my grandma's house in uh, Brainerd, Minnesota. And just flipping through the channels, I think probably like on a holiday, probably like Thanksgiving or Christmas uh, and, you know, trying to find something interesting to watch um, and saw just a little bit of the deadly assassin uh, where uh, the doctor's uh, foot is trapped in some in a train track and a train is coming. And then I got like called to dinner and I was like, what is that? I I found something kind of exciting. That guy was going to be hit by a train. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and they didn't know anything about it. And then, uh, yeah, in Minneapolis, uh, where I first saw it, it was aired on Friday and Saturday night. 
the original uh, way it was aired uh, in in the UK, obviously, was that it was these short 20, 25 minute uh, episodes with uh, big cliffhangers. And then you'd wait the next week and they would, those would be the individual episodes that would build up to a serial. And then that would be the whole uh, story of that uh, particular serial. Uh, I did not know that until years, years later because uh, PBS played them yeah. all mashed together, uh, which it really shows how much I was into it because the because it was written like that. Sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of padding. Sometimes the doctor escapes the same cell multiple times in one serial, uh-huh. right? <laughs> it just gets returned yeah. to that cell. Uh, so it's a tribute to how much I liked it that I was like, yeah, I'm down for uh, this two and a half hours, Friday at 10, 1030. <laughs> Here I go. Here I go. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think I got in at a really interesting uh, time. There were, it was just on, I believe it was that Friday night was the fourth doctor. And my brother watched uh, an episode and was like, ooh, this is really cool. And then I watched one and I wasn't sure. Uh, and then I got hooked. But by the time I got hooked, I believe it was on uh, Friday night. Now, I think it was the other way around. I think it was the Sixth Doctor. The first airing of the Sixth Doctor's first season in America was on Friday night. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's what it was, is I think uh, on Saturday of one week, I finally got hooked on the Sontaran experiment. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the n- next one was, uh, the next Friday was The Two Doctors, which is an episode with the second doctor and the sixth doctor that also had the Sontarans. So like Tom Baker hooked me. <laughs> and then uh, and then I was like, oh, what? but okay, but wait, there's that many more of him and sometimes he can meet himself. Oh, but sometimes years apart, he meets the same monsters. With the Sontaran, so it was not only were those episodes, I think, a little bit more action oriented than some Doctor Who, so they, that got me excited because I was a little bit uh, younger and didn't fully appreciate the pacifism <laughs> of it yet. Uh, but we were so young, so so no internet that my brother literally had to go to school and ask another kid at school, "Why are there more than one of this guy?" <laughs> <laughs> love it and it was like i mean that basically was like you know real life uh wikipedia at that point mm-hmm. uh, you know to have to get information that way well, my brother said friend said that my <laughs> friend's brother yeah yeah exactly yeah. um I, what an amazing series of episodes yeah yeah i mean i think that's a, a part of my weird journey with doctor who is because it was generally not super popular um and one of the things that i was legitimately bullied for because I, I about a year after that i went to a new school that was a little bit more um I don't know, just every stereotype of uh, rich, mean kids and you had to do everything the popular way or you were a weirdo. Um, And, you know, and I about halfway through that that year, I just was like, I I don't care. I'm not going to pretend to, you know, not like what I like. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I brought novelizations of Doctor Who episodes to reading time while in like the boys were literally looking at like, you know, sports magazines are sneaking in Playboys, <laughs> you know, and I had my, you know, uh, novelization of Agopolis and learning about, you know, the meaning of entropy, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, anyway, uh, the point being, it was a very, very different time to be a fan of, uh, science fiction in general. And certainly something as like star Wars was tolerated. Superheroes mm-hmm. were tolerated. 
it would be better to like sports, but those were tolerated. Star Trek was really getting out there, mm-hmm. and Doctor Who was an attack on the flag. <laughs> that was the <laughs> attitude, yeah. uh, you know, of that that time, that school. So I think, honestly, I mean, I think a little bit of like how much my experience reflected the you know iconoclastic spirit of the show. The more I went on, and the more it is every episode, the Doctor shows up. The Doctor is knowledgeable grumpy funny weird empathetic but in general empathetic and knowledgeable finds a problem and wants to fix it and no one at first wants to accept or understand Mm -hmm. and i think the fact that i was kind of being treated like that for liking doctor who probably helped me double down on my attachment to it oh yeah um and i think also just at the time for me uh you know, I loved superheroes, but they weren't really on the screen that much. I loved Star Wars, but, you know, the this was, the, I, you know, the VHSs were, <laughs> didn't even exist, actually, uh, yet uh, then, because um, they were later, uh, well, maybe. Anyway, the point is, uh, it was, Star Wars was not easily accessible to me mm-hmm. um, on screen. So I think there was a, Star Trek wasn't even in reruns at that time where I was living. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. there just wasn't that much uh, of the things that I loved available to me on screen. Mm-hmm. So I think that Doctor Who just also f- uh, filled this need that there was something else out there. Mm-hmm. And then when we got like, we bought these program guides uh, that they used to have, these little books that were just like uh, summaries of the episodes in um, realizing how much it was, how much was out there. And yeah. it like fulfilled this early craving I had to be collectible. And I remember like, uh, so the Target novelizations, these Targets, the company that produced them, these novelizations were around. Um, and like, I remember deciding that like, I'm going to be a first doctor fan. And I like set aside a, a shoe box that was going to be my first doctor <laughs> box. And I put my first doctor books in that. And then was waiting until I could find any other merch at all related to the first doctor because there was nothing else to buy <laughs> but the Target books, really. Uh, so I think it also just fulfilled this desire to disappear into a world and in, in knowing that it was an incredibly rich world. You know, going from being a fan of Star Wars, being like, there are three movies and two Ewok specials. <laughs> and that's, you know, in the cartoons, the droids and Ewoks, but I was not happy with those at the time. Um to this thing that's just like it's endless Mm -hmm. there's so many episodes and it changes and evolves and you can compare and contrast and you can have a favorite companion and a favorite uh, monster and a favorite this and a favorite that it was just like this incredibly rich library to enter into for a fantasy world yeah that makes so much sense um and it's just a beautiful picture of you finding this whole new world that you got to enjoy and experience both when when you wanted to just for yourself and also maybe when things weren't always great around you. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it was, yeah, and I definitely was that kind of like, uh, you know, by the time I got to see the fifth doctor and we actually like saw the companions in their like bedroom space on the TARDIS, I was, you know, I was really like, the doctor, please show up. Yeah. <laughs> I would like a bedroom in the TARDIS, please. Right. I would like to you know, go have some adventures in time and space. Anyway, uh, I could go on and on, which I just did, but let's uh, move on to other things. What um, what draws you to it now it, when we're watching it as adults? I know mm-hmm. you didn't have as much of a childhood relationship yeah. with it. Uh, you and I have 
a relationship with the new series. You know, we watched it together basically from the beginning. It was, you know, uh, something we were watching in the very early stages of our relationship. So, mm-hmm. you know, and we've watched it together since. So, you know, we have our relationship, I think, as a couple mm-hmm. with uh, the new Doctor Who, <laughs> the new Doctor Who that started 15 years ago. Uh, but for the classic series, what what draws you to it now as you're watching it as an adult? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a good question because I feel like it varies so much. In some ways, um, in terms of just like getting into this and agreeing to, yes, let's do Saturday Morning Doctor Who. I'd, I'd watched some classic episodes as an adult and had enjoyed them, but it sounded fun to watch more and kind of get into that feeling. And, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed is getting to um, sometimes watch like more than one serial in a row to really get a sense of movement in the time period and that particular doctor. But, you know, I find for me it's everything from the various interpretations of the doctor and his humanity um, and caring to a random approaches of how to deal with problems. Um, you know, sometimes, and I say random just in a day, like it, it's not necessarily predictable. Uh, So I enjoy that. I enjoy the different companions um, and the relationships. And I enjoy the adventure. Uh, It's been really fun to see. And because we've watched a lot more and I've gotten to have that experience that obviously people who've watched more classic who have had of getting to see as they explore different things in space. But also we've gone back and watched some of the earlier historicals and how they dealt with that idea. And um, I I just I really enjoy the storytelling of it. I oh, feel like, great. yeah, the storytelling and the um, the character development of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I think I'm in a very similar place that I am enjoying all all the elements that you are listing. I think from my personal journey, um, Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who kind of lived in this uh, specific way that I described it, right? That I kind of watched it in a vacuum. I went to a couple conventions, so I knew that other Doctor Who fans existed, <laughs> mm-hmm. but that was about it. Um, and then obviously as I got, uh, older and interacted with more people, you know, I would hear a lot more about the actual history of it, learned more about the actual history of it, but my own relationship with it has been like, oh, I collect the, the DVDs and I have favorite episodes, you know, I've watched Curse of Fenric, you know, probably uh, 50 to a hundred times, right? But then there are other episodes that I haven't seen, you know, since they were broadcast or, you know, a random friend had a VHS, you know, in, in my early twenties and blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's been really, really fun for me to go back and watch it in that way that reignites my childhood love of it and mm. lets me sort of examine why did I love it? How did I receive it? What what parts of it did I probably successfully receive as a kid and what parts of it entirely went over my head? And to also get to watch it, it is a historical document mm-hmm. uh, because when, when people who like the new series do ask me about watching the classic series... My kind of go-to line has been like watching it is a form of time travel because you're going not only to a different time, but to a different culture, especially if like you're in uh, American in the year 2020 to understand that like, yeah, just the definition of what was being attempted. It's not like they're like, it's older, so it's slower. Like, yeah, that happens sometimes, but also just like to, you know, watch the behind the scenes and realize like this is this is how television was produced, sort of like a live play as we understand it, that you would rehearse it and that what was being uh, reached for is insane. Like I, ha- I have a stand-up bit for a doctor where I talk about people say- thinking it's not cool enough or badass enough. And, you know, you know, the joke that like, well, we have a very small budget. Where shall we set our show? How about 
all of time and space, mf <laughs> How badass is that? But I, I really appreciate it from that perspective of not, you know, I did, it didn't bug me that the special effects weren't as good as Star Wars when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It was just like cool and weird and imaginative. And I can see that there's a line somewhere or they're probably standing in front of the screen, but I didn't care. I was lost in the story. Yeah. And it's so fun to watch it now and allow myself to be lost in the story, but then allow myself to appreciate like, yeah, that weird, uh, you know, ray beam, you know, that weird beam that seem, clearly seems superimposed that comes out of that blaster. You know, I enjoy it for the imagination of it. And then I enjoyed like, yeah, but that was actually a hard thing to do that a clever person figured out to do for that time. Mm-hmm. Right. So to just really, truly appreciate it at every level. And now with these Blu-rays to really be able to in a way that I haven't before um, be able to. Uh, watch the flow of episodes uh, the flow of serials together not only for narrative cohesion but you know from really thinking about like script editors and producers making the choices of this episode has this emphasis this episode has this this emphasis damn this whole season of second doctor is almost all about the rigidity of government (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and you know uh and wow there was a lot of concern about the environment this entire you know season mm-hmm. of television like and being uh getting to experience it in that sort of historical way as well yeah yeah that is such a such a good point and i'm glad you brought up the behind the scenes because that's one of the things that we have been watching that i also i mean i enjoy the stories for themselves and i still don't feel like they're i mean yes the technology for special effects are not the level that we would see that we would expect today but they don't take me out of the story when i'm watching it um you know, today either. Like, I still enjoy them with modern eyes looking at this historical document. But um, but I love the behind the scenes also, especially when it's like, oh, we tried to figure out how to do this and it was great or it didn't quite work. We I would have done it to, like hearing some of the creators, um, like the special effects or props creators say like, I would have done this differently. Um, and just to hear some of that is a really nice enrichment to the experience of the storytelling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it makes it this sort of uh, double adventure of the the actual uh, escapism and entertainment and then the the real world adventure behind the scenes that mm-hmm. you can kind of enjoy both at the same time. It's awesome. Uh, so it, it is a very different like style and shape and pacing of storytelling that that can be challenging for some viewers. Is there anything that that does challenge you when you're watching classic Doctor Who? Um, For the most part, no. Every once in a while, there will be an episode that for whatever reason, the pacing and where my brain is at that day don't quite meld together. Um, But that's pretty rare. And I think it's often as much about where my brain is at on a particular day than actually the pacing. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it is like, yeah, there's some episodes that I feel like from, you know, a writerly perspective of like even taking into account all of the, you know, different ideas and attitudes to what you know, shapes an episode of television at that time, what shapes an episode of Doctor Who at that time, I can go like, eh, yeah, you needed another episode. So the, the doctor got captured and went to that same <laughs> prison cell again. And I'm mm-hmm. honestly uh, kind of uh, entertained by those moments. Yeah. And I think this is an opinion that I have held for a long time because I think it's how I identified which individual serials that I would buy on DVD and would watch, rewatch a lot on DVD is that I generally prefer episodes where there is a little bit more Doctor and Companion because, you know, you have a little bit more relationship with them and there are some uh, serials that are a little bit more like, 
the doctors are our viewpoint. And when the doctor does something or says something, there'll be a lot of flair, a lot of personality, a lot of wry humor, or a sudden bit of wisdom, or, you know, or the companion will have a really interesting thing to say, comparing it to the time period that they're from. And, and you want, I always just want more and more in that. And sometimes you're like, you're with whatever drama that mm. they've landed in more than you're with the doctor and the companions. Mm-hmm. And so those are episodes where I'm sort of challenged by my preference. Sometimes, and I think this is one of the things that really distinguishes different writers for me. I think some of the writers for Doctor Who are great at making sure that the characters that you meet who are just there for one serial have a lot of personal life. And sometimes, like, you meet a, you know, stick-in-the-mud army guy, and there's nothing to make that stick-in-the-mud army guy different. Or, you know, it, or you... you Meet the sort of the the leader of the the um, you know space station who doesn't believe the doctor is actually you know that important and like these kind of roles that happen naturally in the structure of Doctor Who again mm-hmm. and again and those writers who can elevate those characters so they have an internal life uh, those are the episodes that that are gold to me so I guess I'm challenged sometimes uh, by a little bit of the repetition and sometimes by the uh, not as much flair has been given to the characters we're spending time with who are not the doctor and the companions. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in general, I'm not, I, it's, it's, I don't ever feel challenged really by the pacing or the technology or the special effects or any of that. That's all really interesting to me because it's just, it's different. Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and so much of it has a sense of uh, creativity and play and like, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to approach this? And, you know, how is the style going to evolve from one generation of the show to the next? Yeah. And anytime that I might start to be hesitant about that, uh, it's fun to think about like, oh, well, you know, this is what they had for this one week of, you know, basically like, you know, we say like theater, but it's basically like summer stock or what, um, you know, oh, that carving's really nice. What was being filmed in the studio next door that they're able to borrow it. So it's always fun. Like if something gets slow to maybe think about like, oh, what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really getting to appreciate uh, the actors who are just, you know, doing a Doctor Who in that you know, they would do many <laughs> other shows. And this week they're doing a Doctor Who or this couple of weeks are doing a Doctor Who and the actors who just like really go for it and really elevate it and really find something in it and take it really seriously and are all in and then every once in a while there's just somebody who's like yes you've put the weird hat on me and i'm saying the things thank you (laughs) (laughs) never to a terrible degree but to me like to a degree where like oh that's why i'm not being pulled in as much Mm because the combination of the actor and the writing is just like yep i'm here i'm doing my doctor what more do you want from me (laughs) um do you have a favorite of the classic doctors okay okay fair enough fair enough uh let me ask though what qualities do you admire in a doctor yeah um (laughs) why why is this question a burden it's it's not a burden it's just it's hard because i i have not seen an equal amount of all of the classic doctors i like different elements of each of them um i would i would say like by a hair this Mm -hmm. is not a like leaps and bounds favorite but like by a hair my current favorite right now would be the second doctor okay patrick Chatton. really enjoying partly because we've recently watched some more of his episodes um but one of the things that actually one of the reasons that i say that is because i really enjoyed um his compassion that was shown a little bit more than um I think maybe we had just been watching some William Hartnell before that. And also just kind of the, the humor that comes in, but the um, 
in terms of just kind of general um, what I value, I would say the the sense of sp- fun and adventure, the sense of of play and like that combination. It's such a weird combination. And it comes out in different ways, I feel like, by all the actors and even within different episodes of you're playing and you're exploring, but you also have this weight of travel and being a time lord and, you know, kind of do you need to fix things? Do you not need to fix things like that? To me, the intermingling of playful exploration and weight of the universe, (laughs) (laughs) like I really love seeing all of the different permutations of that. Yeah, and that is an idea gets really, really highlighted in the new series, right? That is uh, kind of that is almost the crisis of the Doctor. It, yeah, is that the, this uh, huge responsibility, and it even gets increased by the storytelling of being the last Time Lord. And you know, you know, in days gone by, my people would have dealt with this, but now I'm alone, and it's all on me. And this awesome might, this awesome responsibility, and. Uh, you know, it, 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 and then sometimes like, I'd really rather just go hit a button and see what happens and <laughs> have an adventure, but I have to take care of everything. Do you think your, your knowledge and experience of the new series is allowing you to pull those elements out of the classic series when you watch? Probably, but I actually do think that some of that is there in the classic series as well. I mean, certainly some of the the playful adventure of, oh, where are we going next? Or I'm trying to go here, but I didn't manage to get there. Or, oh, I'm stuck on Earth. But I do feel like there is also um, maybe weight of the universe is a, a weightier term, but um, there's that that additional sense of responsibility from being a, a creature, a being, a being that can, <laughs> that can travel through time and space. And I feel like you do get that, not, not in every story, but I feel like it's there often enough. Yeah. Um, and I would like to think that I would have picked that on that without watching um, New Who. Certainly it's, it's definitely like, you know, underlined and highlighted and, you know, in bold letters in New Who uh, many times, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I feel like it's there and and I think also to me, part of it is I like that as um, kind of a weightiness to at least when I'm saying like fun and playful, it's not like, Duh, I'm just going to go like have an escapade. I mean, so there's some of that, but there's also it gives it some gravitas. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really great way to, to say it. And so you like the doctors that have a mix of fun and gravitas. Fun, gravitas, and compassion. I mean, that's not asking for much, is it? So, yes. Okay, I see why you didn't want to say your favorite doctor, because that is most of them. I mean, it is most of them. I I don't have a doctor I don't like. Um, but like I said, like right now, you know, if if we're doing like, you know, if we're rating and they, you know, many of them would be within a point of each other <laughs> and it would change all the time. Um, but like I said, I will I will say that today... The extra point goes to Patrick Trout. The extra point. I think that's mm-hmm. great. And I am not huge on uh, everything needing to be ranked because we don't need things to be ranked. It's a fun conversation to have if you want it. Mm-hmm. But also, it, we don't need to rank them. So they can all be your favorite as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Somebody else might have an extra point tomorrow. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Well, I have. This is really fun for me because it is, again, this whole journey is trying to see it in a new light and, and hear other people's perspectives and, and take them on board and let them enrich the way I see it. Uh, but also kind of going back to what spoke to me as a kid and why and go through all those things at the same time. I still would say that I would lean that point to two, four and seven. 
of the classic series. Well, you chose three. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not even going to do... Uh, did I say his favorite doctor? I meant to say favorite doctors, plural. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But yeah, I the, the elements of the doctor that speak to me the most is when there is a uh, a real sense of whimsy mm-hmm. that gets contrasted with like, I'm just being silly and I and I really let the air out of pompous villains by offering them a jelly baby or or being, you know, you know, comically obsessed with a recorder, a trivial thing. And that really brings that humanity out of the doctor that like comedy and creative creativity and laughter those things are good and they're just as powerful as whatever megalomaniacal villain is screaming about galactic domination and how they've been wronged right so that that sense of whimsy Mm -hmm. but then i also like it exactly as you're saying that also that sense of being truly alien and i think i think of that kind of going one you know hand in hand with the the gravitas of Ooh, I have a responsibility, and boy, I like my companions, but they don't quite see things the same way I do. So I like that the the second Doctor has moments of that, while while very much being the Doctor who who you know brought us so much whimsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fourth Doctor definitely at his best has so much of the like, uh, you know, I am, you know, from beyond time and space. You do not even understand who or what I am. Uh, but also, would you like to go for a bike ride? Like, you know, <laughs> that incredibly great uh, mix. And then the Seventh Doctors he developed had that, too. He starts off with, like, you know, playing spoons, you know, and being a little bit more wacky. Uh, and then ends up going all in on the gravitas. And then, you know, especially his uh, final two seasons out of three, um, he has that real mix of I can go all the way from playing spoons to... I have pre-made a plan for this horrible day, and unfortunately, I may have to unleash violence because it is my responsibility. I don't like it, but I've prepared for it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, to, to have that whole range is great. Yeah. Yeah. And what I really like, what, what you made me think of is I think one of the rewarding things about, about jumping around a little bit, it's really fun to watch the seasons, but also to jump around is to just nuts and bolts, uh, serial by serial, look at what is the doctor's motivation, like, the doctor's personal motivation to be in that adventure because you know especially early on with the first doctor and and sometimes the second doctor would just be like i landed here and then a companion wandered off or i accidentally hit a button i wasn't supposed to but then sometimes it's a ooh this kind of looks like a place we shouldn't be uh, but i'm too curious i'm going to go look over there <laughs> and it's the doctor's actual curiosity mm-hmm. but then as we as we go on it sometimes it's the doctor saying i can't leave this situation this is wrong mm-hmm. you know and so to see all of the different levels of motivation or somebody else realizing that the doctor could solve the problem for them and not allowing the doctor to leave until the doctor solves it so i think just having all those different motivations brings out all of the different elements of the character until the character kind of eventually gels into uh, i think in the later in the classic series but certainly by the time the new series is being written by people who grew up with classic Doctor Who, and I think, gelled in their mind who the Doctor is. And there's a lot in the new series that kind of looks back at the classic series and Mm -hmm. uh, almost recontextualizes, like, all those different times the Doctor had different motivations for being in the adventure was the Doctor's baking over hundreds of years and fully forming Mm -hmm. into the Doctor that we know now who is pretty proactive about, I'm going to wander around, and any time I see a problem, I'm going to fix it, unless it's a fixed point in time. And even then, sometimes, (laughs) I'll still try to fix it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's a really good point that I hadn't really thought about um, comparing classic Doctor Who with the new Who is it does feel like the new Who a lot of times there's a few times they're like, oh, they're trying to go someplace and they don't quite make it or they're trying to go a place and they do. But a lot of times it's like, oh, we've landed in a place Therefore, why are we here? Like, there's a reason we're here. There's a reason we've been brought here. There must be something wrong. Whereas um, it does feel like in the classic ones, at least some of the ones that we've been watching lately, a lot of times, I mean, there is the like, oh, we didn't mean to go there. But there is the like, oh, what's going on? Let's go explore. As opposed to I'm here and therefore there must be something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a great evolution of, you know, how much the doctor can or cannot control the TARDIS. The new series even throws out that idea that the TARDIS, you know, brings the doctor Mm -hmm. uh, where the doctor needs to be. Right. So you you can even have that sort of fun retroactive headcanon if you want of like, oh, when the second doctor just happens to land on Telus right when that expedition is going into the tomb of the Cybermen. The TARDIS was maybe like, hey, doctor. <laughs> yeah. So I really like all those ideas of uh, of what the doctor's different motivations can be. Even like the, the, I really enjoy the fifth doctor era of got a lot of companions in the fifth doctors, you know, the first younger doctor. And you get that sense of he just like he, he's definitely got curiosity. And there's definitely some great moments where he's like, I'll look over there. Oh, crap. Now I'm on an adventure. Uh, <laughs> but he's just really got this vibe of he's just like. He's a dad in an RV, and he's just kind of trying to take the kids camping to shut them up right. <laughs> for a little while. And that, that that through line of just, I'm just trying to go somewhere kind of half-ass pleasant yeah. for five minutes, and every time there's something really bad I got to deal with <laughs> is just yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of great rewarding motivations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you were going to travel in time and space with the doctor... Which regeneration would you choose? Which is a different way to ask about favorite. This is actually like, okay, it's fun to talk about a television show. But if your life were actually in the doctor's hands, (laughs) which doctor do you trust? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, So I'm just going to put out my little caveat, which is that right now we've been watching much more of one through five than we have six and seven. Yes. So I'm just going to take six and seven out of the equation right now for my own um, knowledge and I haven't, I haven't become recent friends with them again. <laughs> um, wow, that's a really good question. And it's a really hard one because every time I'm about to answer it, I'm like, oh, but no. Oh, but maybe this one. So, um, so far I've considered, <laughs> so far I've considered uh, two through five. <laughs> um, part of me would still go with two because I, I, you know, we've seen Second Doctor have some compassion toward companions that isn't always there oh yeah so that was why i kind of leaned toward two um five i mean going on the i spy game of like what do we see out the window maybe (laughs) um i will point out that five you know spoilers has actually lost a companion yes yes that's true but yeah i i would not be comfortable with you going with five Just on track record alone. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I mean, f- f- yeah, four. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you you don't sound settled on this at all. You were, you're going to go for five, settled. and then I ruined it. I'm sorry. I ruined your trip with <laughs> no, the doctor. No, you didn't. It's all it's all good. Uh, I'm going to go with the third doctor. Yeah. Uh, because as a kid growing up, I liked the third doctor, but he wasn't my favorite because he wasn't as alien and didn't have as much sort of 
whimsy. I'm appreciating him so much more over the years uh, in seeing that, oh, there is a lot of whimsy there. It's just very wry and specific. Um, But he's the the third doctor, you know, as we're rewatching a lot of his episodes, not only is he just always there with the Venusian karate or their real uh, physical Mm -hmm. action. Yeah. uh, But he's just he's a little bit more focused, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets he doesn't get uh, he doesn't get distracted, you know, and uh, and I think that if my life was actually in danger, you got the Venusian karate and we just watched uh, one of the episodes that happens uh, where the doctor uh, does just plain old <laughs> grab a blaster, grab a gun. <laughs> and it is funny because I, I, I absolutely love Doctor Who for its pacifism and, and the doctor goes on many uh, pacifist speeches and then you can make, you know. Fun, uh, you know, uh, videos where you cut together all the times where he did grab, you know. So he's not a, he's still very much, very much fights for pacifism. A huge chunk of the Third Doctor is him trying to stop Unit from uh, the mil- cool military guys from blowing stuff up. Yeah. But he's also like very practical of like, yes, but you know, if my companion's gonna die, I will karate chop you. Come on, of course I will. Yeah. Or fight you with the sword. Come on, of course I will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you make a really good point. Point. Really good case for Third Doctor. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll both go on an adventure together with the third doctor. Sounds good. And we'll uh, learn different uh, space martial arts, which will be wonderful. Yay! Uh, do you have any companions that you have particularly enjoyed as we've been rewatching classic Doctor Who? Oh, honestly, this is even harder um, because I hadn't watched enough classic Who before to have a lot of opinions about, you know, I'd seen a few and... Um, right now, as you mentioned, we've been watching some third doctor with Joe Um and I had not really watched any Joe episodes before, so Joe is kind of one of maybe my current top of the list. Okay, yeah, yeah. What What is drawing you to Joe? She's very competent, uh, which sounds both lovely and like a horrible compliment. Uh, but I just feel like she she kind of she knows where she is in that she's traveling with a doctor. Um, there's not a lot of screaming, or if there is, it's because there's something going on. Something truly, legitimately terrifying. Yeah, that anyone yeah. and everyone would scream at. Exactly, uh, but she's also, you know, willing to to jump in and take care of things. She has her own agency, and I feel like one of the first episodes we watched with her, that people kept asking her to get tea, and she kept making a face about it. Yeah, it was Sea Devils. We, sea we Devils, watched the yes. Sea Devils as kind of a one-off. Uh, yes, and so that just instantly charmed me to her as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is really, really fascinating. Obviously, there's a Doctor Who was made when it was made, and there's a, a ton of stuff that is worthy of discussion um, from uh, gender perspective, from uh, uh, you know racial yes. perspective, everything. There's There's much to be analyzed and discussed um but the the companions given that they are there to be the audience perspective and they do vacillate from hey in the early seasons the first and second doctor were not meant to be action heroes so you would have ian and jamie and a bunch of other people to do the the punching and the kicking and yeah and that and then uh, a lot of times you would have uh characters who are really there to just kind of have the doctor what is that in the doctor explains kind of uh thing that there is this very complex as you watch the a level of agency that that different companions have mm-hmm. um going to very early on of you know barbara who is honestly one of my favorite companions yeah she's fantastic you know has that very early story where it wants to change history and preserve you know again this is there's much to be discussed about this but as the show was made at the time it was made, that, that Barbara wants to 
preserve everything that she deems to be noble and beautiful and wonderful about the Aztecs and, you know, and stop them from being wiped out. Like in that amount, seeing that amount of agency, you know, early on. And she often is uh, very, very like, okay, let's all just uh, chill out. (laughs) Yeah. We can figure out a way out of this. It's real bad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, She's fantastic. Yeah. The French Revolution's a rough place to be, but let's figure it out. We can (laughs) all do it together. Like, yeah. So, uh, so I think I really gravitate toward those characters again, who like just do something that then I think the new series really reflects on. Mm-hmm. Like the new series, it becomes explicit that the doctor takes the best of humanity mm-hmm. and the best of humanity is really defined starting with Rose as, you know, kind and empathetic. But that real idea of it's good to push yourself to be proactive, to not turn away from things that are wrong and to be inventive and figure out the best way to handle any given situation that like there's always a solution to the problem and seeing as early as one of the original companions is representing that Mm -hmm. and then you build to the point where it's actually sort of codified as like this is what's on the doctor's application to be a companion right i mean not literally but pretty close to is really interesting to me so yeah i mean we would be here all night if i listed all my favorite companions yes yes me too i just i chose one because again trying to you know Give an extra point to somebody for today. Tomorrow's yeah. opinion might be different. Yeah, no, but uh, Joe is great. Joe, yeah, absolutely. A recent episode we watched where the master is trying to hypnotize her and like that great like... I loved that. You hypnotized me before mm-hmm. and I, in the meantime, came up with the way to deal with it <laughs> Yep. by shouting nursery rhymes. <laughs> They're like, yeah, it's so great. It's so great. Um, and I think that mu- some of that stuff, even though I couldn't analyze it, must have been what was speaking to me as I was watching these you know, uh, so much as a kid uh, that there's so much in them that is empowering of you can do something. You can fight back against the scariest things. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, should we see the living quarters of the companions more often? Oh, I'm honestly really mixed about that. Oh, this is great. Tell yeah, me why. Because part of me absolutely wants to. Like, that's fascinating. But part of me also likes the secret of it i like the mystery of it um so i am i am so truly like in my in my soul torn about this because uh yeah because of exactly what i just said yeah yeah like there's such an interesting arc like uh, in the at one point the second doctor asked victoria like are you are you happy here with with you know jamie and i and like you see them in the tardis very briefly and you, you know that they spend time there but it's just like, <laughs> uh, you've taken her from horrifying situation to horrifying situation. <laughs> and it's very kind that you ask, but you don't see that sort of like, uh, where, when do you sleep and eat? And like, yes. you, you start to get, uh, you know, you want to explore the TARDIS the more and more here and there and get those kind of moments or a hint at, oh, the doctor and the companion were just relaxing somewhere right before we saw this horrific adventure. Um, and then you, you know, build up to that full fifth doctor, uh, era where you're seeing their bedrooms and seeing like how they decorated that yeah. and when did they pick up that stuff or is it from the TARDIS and I just remember just being so fascinated with that as a kid that there's a part of me that's I've always wanted to see like I would be incredibly happy with more episodes even in the new series that is just really like the home life of the companions I mean I would I would absolutely take take that definitely yeah. did you try to um 
Were you inspired by watching, by getting to see the bedrooms of the companions to um, take any elements of it in your own bedroom? <laughs> uh, no, because I think I was so caught up in just seeing that they had, you know, my memory was being caught up in the drama okay. of it, you know. Yeah, like I feel like I would have been, if I had been had seen it as a kid and been super uh, obsessed and remembered it, <laughs> um, like to put like the white circles everywhere like just around your room (laughs) oh yeah no i would have absolutely loved that yeah i mean i think the one of the only ways that i was able to try to be like the doctor is i thought because the doctor does this shtick several times of having all sorts of stuff uh in in their pockets uh, partially you know because uh, it's tools but also to frustrate villains Mm -hmm. you know in great scenes where they're just like give me the key or whatever and all the stuff comes out Mm -hmm. and i had a jean jacket that i stuffed to the brims with random crap (laughs) <laughs> hoping that somebody would ask me for something and I could pile it out like the dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, but I, I understand. You think it, it? You think the rooms gives away too much of the mystery? I, I mean, that's what I'm torn about. Is because I do like that. Um, that I, like I like it when you get to see more of the TARDIS. But I also I think part of what it is is I um, I really I like that you don't get to see the whole thing. There's always that sense that there's more of the TARDIS that you're not seeing. Yeah. And while I would love to see them just sitting around having a cup of tea or actually acknowledging that they ever sleep, um, I don't know that seeing more, too much more of the TARDIS, like I don't want the full TARDIS tour. Oh, no. To me, that's like, no, too far. I do not want a cross section of here is every room, here's how it aligns. I mean, it's established that it moves around and all that anyway. But yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree with you about the, it's not that I want the mystery of the TARDIS fully solved because Mm -hmm. the mystery in Doctor Who is, is, I really like that. And I like some of the new things that have happened in very recent canon that add, uh, you know, every once in a while that the show going back, you know, all through its iteration has revealed a bunch and then added some more mystery back and revealed a bunch and added some more mystery back. And it's one of the great games, I think, of Doctor Who. So I always like the mystery. It's, for me, it's not like I want to see the TARDIS. It's that I am interested enough in the companions always. They're always, in my mind, uh, well cast. They're always engaging and interesting and just seeing how different people process the adventures and mm-hmm. how you process a day-to-day life. Yeah. You know, in getting just that little peek is really interesting to me. Yeah. I think I think if it weren't like every single companion you get to see their bedroom, but with some of them you get to see their bedrooms. <laughs> uh, maybe I don't I don't know why just cuz some of because we still need some mystery cuz I can't give this up. But if you if you did see that and maybe didn't see it like every episode, but just often enough so you kind of see a companion first seeing their bedroom, what will be their bedroom? And kind of what state it's in then. And then maybe checking back in after they've been on a few adventures. And what have they added? And is it something <laughs> that they found on one of the adventures? Did they go exploring in the TARDIS and yeah. just found this thing? Like the TARDIS has closets. Obviously, we know that. Right. So like just kind of seeing what small details are the evolution of this companion's journey and kind of how they process it within their own space yeah okay you're you're making a case for this for me i just kind of want to see uh jamie uh, the second doctor's uh scottish companion (laughs) Uh uh-huh uh who's uh, all he always has a knife and uses it often and i want to think that his room is just like uh kind of a rough bed (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then just wall-to-wall knives 
just night every knife he's collected yeah the nice good like stone sharpening <laughs> wheel over yeah, in the corner yeah exactly exactly a bedroom full of knives for jamie <laughs> that's what i want to see um if so the early 60s uh seasons there are the historicals um or the monsters mm-hmm. uh and then of course they begin to merge um for you if you were a kid in the 60s yeah do you think you would have been drawn more to the historicals or the monsters? Would you have been, if you started watching Doctor Who in 1963 and the historicals started to fade a little bit and it was the monsters, sometimes you'd visit an interesting place in in the past, but there'd always be a monster there. Mm-hmm. Would you have been like, yeah, cool, monsters. Yeah, give me more of that. Or would you have been like, where did the straight historicals go? <laughs> Uh, I I love history, as as you know, um, but I would not have been that much of a straight-up historical kid. Um, <laughs> no, I think I would have been just fine with that. I think if there were, especially because there are often, like you said, like interesting places, I could see if there were too many scary monsters in a row without the companions um, and others uh, there to kind of latch onto as the safe. Yeah. Your, your safety net to go through this story together. Um, that then I would have been, it would have been too much, but no, I think I, uh, I like me a good, good monster. <laughs> okay. Good enough. Um, uh, so I want to talk about monsters a little bit cause it is a big part yeah. of Dr. Oh, Who. absolutely. Um, and you know, it, it said a lot that about monsters, about all kinds of different shows, but Dr. Who in particular, that they, you know, represent a specific fear or a specific idea. And Daleks are often, uh, re- strictly related or uh, related to Nazis, uh, the Cybermen are very much this fear of loss of humanity. Um, the Silurians are kind of about our abuse of Earth. Um, all sorts of different uh, interpretations. If you were creating a monster, if you were going to design a monster for classic Doctor Who, what kind of fear would you tap into to make mm. a monster? Wow. Well, um, <laughs> this, this is me coming from my modern perspective. Um, it's going to be a monster that's made out of plastic. <laughs> um, and, you know, is like a big plastic blob rising up out of uh, the water, but maybe not out of just the ocean so that people who don't buy, live by the ocean think they're safe. Maybe it like rises out of puddles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think this was an episode of the most recent season of Doctor Who, which makes a lot of sense. Oh, was it? It was. You're right. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't mean to fly drives. Okay, let me come up with a different one. No, no. I think that's I, I, <laughs> that's what I was interested in is what honestly comes to your mind of what is in your day-to-day life uh, causing you anxiety. Climate change. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my current one. Um, but I feel like I need to come up with something that's not accidentally plagiarizing existing Doctor Who. Well, we could, yeah, go ahead. So um, I would say, I mean, so we live in California. Right now there's over 300 fires active in California. So I'm going to go with something that spontaneously combusts. Um, Or not combust, but like spontaneously um, gets on, exudes flames. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like that would be a terrifying, like if you didn't know and it's, this thing is just, you know, there. Maybe it looks like a phone box or something, and then suddenly there's flames shooting out of it. Yeah, this Have I, I again jump. Is this another already existing monster that I'm copying? Uh, no, because I, okay. I certainly not from classic Doctor Who. Because I think uh, flaming monster that causes spontaneous combustion would have been 
hard to realize. Yeah, yeah. Safely. Yes, and and I think I mean like flaming more than the spontaneous combustion. But I feel like that's that would be one that I would that would be really interesting. Yeah, especially if it were on a non-Earth planet. Ooh, you know, take it take it out of the context of Earth, like put it on the moon or any number of other planets, but like something with a different sort of atmosphere. And then, but there's this, maybe it's a thing that the people there know this is what happens, but then for the doctor and their companions, they learn that these things that to them look like phone boxes will suddenly burst out flames. Oh, really? Interesting. I like that a lot. Now, I can absolutely see this as a classic uh, Doctor Who kind of story where there's these uh, fire monsters are almost like some kind of spore that is, you know, going to spread if you're not careful about it. And, you know, you start to see people who look sickly and they have a red haze in their eyes and then (laughs) they get consumed and suddenly like, yeah, then they're on fire and everything they come near starts to uh, burn. Yeah. And yeah, it's a great Doctor Who monster that feels utterly terrifying. And I think that's what it gets down to that. Mm -hmm. that There's something, the best monsters, there's something that you, that they look so bizarre and alien, but there's something there that just speaks to like just a simple fear that like I'm surrounded by all of my things and they all, you know, Mm -hmm. balance and they all need each other. And what if, what if somebody just kind of got sick against their will in a way that suddenly just everything they came in contact with started to burn or rot. Yeah. And it, it, when you relate it to your like own personal life, imagining that innocent creature that doesn't necessarily mean to be that way, but also doesn't want to leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so many Doctor Who stories, and just right. everything around them starts to rot and burn. And the Doctor's like, look, there's got to be a place where that, where, you know, what you naturally are can, you know, exist peacefully. Let me try to take you there. Uh, and, and then it really gets into which a lot of the new series has been just extremely blatant about the climate change. Yeah. But that's a much, uh, I think, yeah. your pitch is real good. Thank you. And not that I dislike those episodes, it's just that they're very, very clear about the analogy. Yes, yes. And mine is very classic Who friendly because it could totally be filmed in a quarry. <laughs> the best and safest place to be on fire right. is in a quarry, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good one. So uh, we are going to move on. I would like uh, for you to give a noise to sum up your interest level and maybe obsession in Doctor Who. <laughs> when is Saturday? When is Saturday? When is Saturday? When is Saturday? <laughs> That's very good. I like it a lot. All right, let's uh, let's talk about our obsessed ratings then. Okay. Now that we've talked about it a little bit more and we have wallowed in the wonder of classic Doctor Who. Yeah. Where would you rate your obsession level now? I mean, I'm gonna still give myself. Ma- okay, I will give. I will acknowledge that I have my own version of obsession. Um, but I'm gonna give it a pretty middling score. Um, because I really like it, and I'm I'm so excited to. <laughs> to experience more, to learn more, to continue to participate in this world. Um, so mm, five, six, are we doing out of 10? What's our thing? Yeah, yeah, okay. one out of 10. Yeah, I'd say somewhere in the five or six range. Okay, both good doctors, I think. So good job, good job. <laughs> Would you, as as my partner and the person who's watched me have some level, but it varies throughout the years of interest in Doctor Who, what 
What do you think? Is I that think that's fair. fair. I think yeah. that's fair because I think you really, really like it. Uh, um, certainly Doctor Who in general, like I said, you know, we started watching together and I think it's, you know, it's been a part of our relationship together that we've celebrated and both really enjoyed. Um, and But you don't have this, uh, you find the place for it in your life and it fits there and it's nice. Yeah. And it's not that like, ooh, I, uh, I need more Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm not pushing to have turn our living room into the TARDIS. Yeah, although you suggested it now, and I would like to talk about our bedroom. <laughs> I'd like to put some of the round things in our bedroom if we could. <laughs> if I can't see some companions' bedrooms, <laughs> I'm going to turn our bedroom. Uh, uh, so for myself, yeah, on the rating let's talk scale. About you. Yeah, what do you think? Out of one being oh. the lowest, ten being the highest, uh, where do you think I rate in my obsession with classic Doctor Who? classic doctor you know i'm gonna do maybe like an eight and a half okay i think that's fair yeah what were you gonna say uh i think it's definitely high because it's something that's been with me for a while and even when i can't engage with it Mm -hmm. in any way i think it is fundamental enough to the way that i see entertainment Mm -hmm. um and the way i see i don't there there are things about star wars and doctor who even though they're very different that feel very connected to me. Like, mm-hmm. I love that they both ultimately uh, preach pacifism is the is the first option and the second and the third and the fourth, please, pacifism. Mm-hmm. But they also celebrate, you know, uh, wisdom and creativity and the need for evolution and all of these, like, deep ideas that mean a lot to me that certainly you can find other places in the world but are baked into these bizarre worlds that don't look or feel like anything else Mm -hmm. and that's partially because as much as they both absolutely care about these deep principles and ideas they're also unabashedly unapologetically b-movie adventure pulp serials that want there to be weird things with bulbous eyes and tentacles and horror and screams and cliffhangers uh and there's so there's a part to me that I sometimes say I like it when somebody will criticize either Star Wars or Doctor Who. Like mm-hmm. sometimes for me, it's, it comes from a very valid place, if, you know, if it relates to the real world and, and stuff like that. But a lot of times it's just like for me, both of those things should be a table with three legs. It, it should be both Star Wars and Doctor Who should be a little wobbly. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why I love them, because they they are combining utter just flash whiz bang of bizarre adventure with this deep morality and that in and of itself creates this weird tension and they both just like and i said classic doctor who in particular classic doctor who dares to dream like Mm, literally in what it's trying to do and that's why the special effects another never bug me i had a a really friendly conversation with another um doctor who fan on facebook uh because a lot of the classic doctor who uh serials that are missing an episode are having uh, the animation done to the existing soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And I was having a, a conversation with a friend who was like, I really love the animation for Reign of Terror. So the animation for Ice Warriors, I didn't think was as good. So it was a real letdown. And for me, I said like, well, the animation feels like the show. It's in the spirit of the show of they are trying to be as creative as possible with a limited budget <laughs> to achieve the dream of seeing this weird thing on a screen mm-hmm. and I think that's even when I can't engage with classic Doctor Who as often as I want to 
that a big part of my obsession is just that spirit of that dare to dream as uh, as a creative mantra and as a just way to look at life of like, yeah, no, I, I'm going to try to do that thing and it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be beautiful in the attempt. Yeah. And in fact, the fact that it's not perfect kind of makes it more beautiful and more human. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. I learned it from the doctor <laughs> when the doctor was not being cranky. I'm bumping you up from 8.5. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, another part of obsession for me at this point in my life is how often I think about how much I want to be engaging. Yeah. Like, I, I'm kind of obsessed with classic Doctor Who because I don't, in Doctor Who in general, because I don't have as much time to engage with it the amount of content as it is Mm -hmm. and i'm really grateful for getting to be a part of gallifrey one because then that will give me a reason to be like okay for these these days that i'm there and when i'm preparing to be there i have a you know professional reason to say this is my absolute focus and i can absolutely disappear into it and same thing for the the saturday mornings of like uh, because we're watching every saturday morning i'm thinking a lot about the different ideas and how this doctor compares to that doctor and how that episode flowed into that episode or why I like that episode a little bit more. And all those those different things mm-hmm. uh, mean that even though I don't have as much time to give to it as I want, it's filling up those little spaces in my mind when I'm, you know, brushing my teeth or can't quite fall asleep or all that kind of thing. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I will let you know more often when I'm brushing my teeth. <laughs> I'll shout out. I'm thinking about Doctor Who. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to the plugging section of our podcast. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshot, where I do tweet and retweet about climate change. And you can find me on Instagram at Scrimstreet. Yay, and quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshot.com. You can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. And we always want to be aware that we are in challenging times right now, and there are many great resources to help people on the website blacklivesmatter.com. All right, final questions. Yeah. If you could write a message in the sky that everyone could see, what would it be? Be kind. Be kind. That is a very good one. Uh, and what cheese pairs best with classic Doctor Who? <laughs> a nice aged cheddar. <laughs> An aged cheddar. Ooh, a nice chain aged white cheddar, if I may. Okay, why? I don't know, because I suddenly wanted some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing goes better than trying to recognize a quarry. <laughs> there we go. If you uh, get a little quarry dust on it, you know, if you've got like a nice <laughs> sharp cheddar, or if you get inspired to carve your own quarry. Um, out of cheese? Out of cheese. Make a cheese quarry. You can make a cheese quarry. You got to make a cheese quarry. Come on, <laughs> dare to dream. Make a cheese quarry. We are going to eat uh, a quarry of cheese at some point in our lives. Uh, what is happiness to you right now? Happiness is having conversations like this where you get to think about what brings excitement and joy and purpose into your life and the lives of the people that you know and what you hope is bringing joy and purpose and excitement into the lives of the people around you. 
Oh, that is very nice and very well said. And I think the doctors would agree with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> that is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So, would you like to tell me about uh, what one of your favorite episodes of Classic Doctor Who is? Yes. There are so many. I know. But one that um, that I can talk about, because you mentioned the name of it earlier, is The Sea Devils, which is which I truly, really like. Do you want me to say why I like it or what happened? Or Sure. Yeah, so there, um, there are some Silurians, which I really like, and that makes sense since you said they're um, about the Earth that I like them. But I like it because they, you know, it's one where they... Um, I really, because I haven't seen a lot of them, enjoy the ones that where Unit is involved. And, um, you know, the Master is there. You've got Joe there. You've got Joe there not really being happy about having to serve tea, but she'll do it if she has to. So I, I love that. Um, and you also get to have, uh, you know, the Doctor going out onto location. And it's really fun. And you, it's a really interesting like this island uh fort in the middle of uh right off the bay of wherever they're filming um it's just got it's got so many it's certainly got action cutting myself off because i'm so excited about it that i can't complete a phrase (laughs) let alone a sentence but it's got it's got so much it's got intrigue and it's got excitement and it's got you know kind of who's gonna control whom and you know you've got the great creatures with the Silurians coming up onto the beach. The sea devils. The sea devils. Excuse me. Excuse me. But they are related to the Silurians. Yes. Okay. I was going to say, I thought I was losing my mind there for a moment. No, no, not at all. Um, I'm daring to dream. Let them be related. And there's a lot in the episode of like, ooh, they're related to the Silurians. So yeah, yeah, there's a reason that you thought that. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Thank you for affirming that. Um, I just, there's so many things I like about that one. Yeah. No, that is an absolute great one. I could go on and on about uh, favorites, uh, Curse of Fenric, uh, Ark in Space, uh, Tomb of Cybermen, on and on and on. But because we also just recently watched it, uh, I will shout out the three doctors. The three doctors, you you get to see the charm of the third and the second doctor really uh, having a lot of fun, both uh, liking one another and disliking one another. And Joe is great in that. And there's some great brigadier comedy where he doesn't understand that there are uh, he thinks that the doctor has just changed back to his earlier regeneration instead of there actually being multiple ones. And you and I got to have the joy of rewinding to watch his take when he figures out that they're all <laughs> in the same space, all so that. Great. And then I just, one of the things that I absolutely love about Dr. Who is the just scenery chewing megalomaniacal villains. I have loved megalomaniacal villains uh, for most of my life, probably because of Dr. Who and Omega is one of the most screamy <laughs> villains. And also, you know, it, as an adult, when I really watch the actual episode and realize why he's screamy, <laughs> he's, you know, straight, one of those great villains of like, it's not cool what you're doing, but I understand why. And I would scream too. So it's cathartic to in, in this day and age to, to scream along with Omega. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, that is another one that I would also put in my favorites. Well, great. I can't wait to watch more and find even more favorites so the podcast can be even longer when we revisit Classic Doctor Who. (laughs) 